Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right, the big news that we were watching, closing arguments in the prosecution case out in the prosecution of the police officer uh derek chevron responsible allegedly responsible for the death of george floyd here's the status of the case uh the prosecution has completed the first portion of their closing arguments the defense is making their closing argument now and then what happens is the prosecution since they have the burden of proof they have the right to rebuttal After that, the judge will instruct the jury, give them the formal instructions, and then they will begin their deliberations. The jury, which has not been sequestered up to this point, sequestered is just a fancy way of saying locked up. The jury, so they've been allowed to go home. The jury will be sequestered after the arguments are done. So they're there and until they they ended up reaching a verdict in this this case. What that means is that the... um, it's possible that, that they could be begin deliberating th- this afternoon, depending on how long this entire process takes. Because, again, it's not like they're going to be going home. They're, they're going to be locked up and they're going to be spending time in a hotel or whatever. Typically, judges will allow the jury to decide how late they want to work. That, that's a typical thing. Because, again, if, if a jury's sequestered, it, it's... It's a deal like, okay, well, you know, why don't you, if you feel comfort, if you want to, if, you know, if it's been a long day and you want to, you know, just come back and start fresh tomorrow, you can do that. On the other hand, if you want to you know, see where you guys are, we'll let you do that. So it is possible that the jury, if they get the case mid-afternoon, um, late afternoon, could begin deliberating and could have a verdict um, th- this evening. Possible. On the other hand, it, it might be that you know they decide to come back tomorrow and, and start. Th- this is what they're looking at. They're looking at, at three separate potential, I mean, potential charge. The most, the most significant charge is second-degree murder. And that requires proof beyond a reasonable doubt that the officer caused the death of Mr. Floyd while assaulting him by intentionally applying unlawful force without um, without consent that resulted in substantial bodily harm. It isn't necessary for the state to prove that he intended to inflict substantial bodily harm. The, the intent aspect, and this all ties into intent, the intent aspect is that he intentionally applied the unlawful force without consent. It isn't um, that he intended to inflict substantial bodily harm. Third-degree murder, proof that he caused Mr. Floyd's death by committing an eminently dangerous act that was highly likely to cause death and showed a reckless disregard for human life. Second-degree manslaughter, they'd have to believe that it was Mr. Chauvin's culpable negligence and reckless actions that caused Mr. Floyd's death. In this particular case, if you were asking me to make a prediction, and you can go, you can go broke trying to figure out what courts are going to do and what juries are going to do, but it, it seems to me, having at least watched a good portion of the testimony over the last couple of weeks, my, my sense is that this is, is not a particularly close case. And I, I think it's more likely than not 
that you're going to see a, a conviction of, of the most serious charge, second-degree murder. I think that's where the jury's going to land. But but again, you, you don't know. And keep in mind, under our system, the, the, the verdict has to be unanimous. In other words, all, all 12 people on the jury need to agree either one way or another that somebody's not either guilty or not guilty. That's why you have, in some cases, you have these 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 different potential verdicts that are out there because, let's say, 10 people feel strongly that it is second-degree murder, but there's a couple other people who, who don't, who, who think maybe this is manslaughter. That, that middle charge gives you a, a compromise. You can say, okay, well, can we agree on that? In this case, I think... Um, Based on what I've seen, I believe that the prosecution has has met its burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt that this is second-degree murder, and I, I think that's the most likely verdict. I also don't necessarily think it's going to take that long for them to reach that, that verdict. Um, you've, you've had a lot of testimony. Sometimes people say, well, you know, what does it mean if the jury, if the jury's out for like three days, does that automatically mean something? No, it, it, it doesn't. I mean, I think that this jury wants to be careful. They have to understand the stakes that are involved. Now, the judge, of course, tells them, you know, your, your verdict needs to be based on, you know, the evidence that is presented in the courtroom and, and solely on the evidence presented in the courtroom. But the, the jurors are going to know that the world is going to be watching this particular verdict. So they want to make sure whether it's guilty or not guilty or guilty of a lesser included offense or whatever, they want to make sure they get it right. My, my sense is this this is going to be a, a second-degree murder conviction. And, and at least, again, in my opinion, based on what I have seen as an observer, I think that's certainly supported by the evidence. But but here's the, here is, of course, the, the other issue that's there. This Minneapolis right now is a, I mean, it's a powder keg. And I think a lot of people are concerned that something is is going to happen and that, that people are going to use the verdict, whatever the verdict might be, as an excuse to engage in not just protest, but rioting and things of the like. You had the story, what, over the weekend, you had a couple of National Guards troopers who were, who were shot at um, as, as part of like a drive-by sort of shooting. And, and you know... That, that everybody's on edge because whatever the verdict is, there's going to be people that are not happy with it. There's going to be people, even if they're happy with the verdict and they think that this is, is right, are perhaps going to use this case, again, as an opportunity to, to demonstrate and to express distrust with the police in general. So it, it's, it's a powder keg. Now, into this powder keg comes Maxine Waters, the the crazy congresswoman from California who shows up in Minneapolis over the weekend and starts uh, addressing crowds uh, about this. And instead of deciding to, you know, calm troubled waters, Saturday night she shows up at an anti-police brutality protest, which is fine. And, and, And here's what you say. I'm going to fight with all of the people who stand for justice, she says. And this is right before the 11 o'clock curfew. They've got a curfew in Brooklyn Center as a result of the shooting of, of Dante Wright the other day. So she says, okay, I'm going to fight with all the people who stand for justice. We've got to get justice in this country, and we cannot allow these killings to, you know, go on. Okay, well, so I think everybody would agree with that. We've got to stay on the street, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. 
We've got to make sure they know that we mean business. And that's her response when somebody says, well, what, what happens if the jury would, would acquit um, Derek Chevron? So her thing is, we, we've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they know, they being whoever, they know that we mean business. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it was highly appropriate to criticize former President Trump with his various remarks that he made um, subsequent to the election and even in the immediately preceding the Capitol riots on January 6th. I, I think I understand some people would say, well, he technically didn't do anything wrong. But as we've talked about on this program on multiple occasions, I, I think President Trump's remarks for example, um, it was sort of like, you know, like pouring gasoline on an already smoldering fire. And I think he deserved to be criticized. Whether or not impeachment was an overreaction is something that other people can decide. But I think Trump was wrong in saying a lot of the stuff he did. And a lot of people believe that. Republicans and Democrats said, look, the president should not be inciting things. So when a congresswoman from California travels to Minneapolis and says, well, we, we need to be more confrontational. You know, we, we need to, you know, we need to be more confrontational. We need to stay on the street if, if this guy is acquitted. My question is, how is that helpful, if at all? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I would hope we would expect more from our politicians. And just like I think it was very, very fair to criticize President Trump for a number of his remarks after the election and especially immediately prior to what happened on January 6th, is it also not fair to criticize Maxine Waters for traveling from California to Minnesota, attending a rally and saying, well, okay, if this happens, we need to get more confrontational, quote, unquote. Um, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we discuss in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Everyone sixteen and older is now eligible for the COVID nineteen vaccine. Do you have questions about the vaccine, getting back to work, or opening schools? Please join our very own John McCure on Tuesday, April twenty seventh, for a special WTMJ roundtable. Vax Facts 2.0. John will be joined by Dr. Ben Weston, a leading health official in Milwaukee County, to help answer your questions about the vaccine. Want to hear your question on the air? Well, give us a call at 414-203-8105. That's 414-203-8105. And don't forget to join us at 4 o'clock on Tuesday, April 27th, for a special WTMJ roundtable, Vax Facts 2.0, on on News Radio WTMJ, sponsored by Dave Camp Heating. I just, I, look, the, 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 what's going on in Minnesota right now is, is, again, it's a microcosm of the different problems that are going on all across the country. But the world is watching what happens. My personal sense is that the police officer is going to be convicted of second-degree homicide. I think that's what's going to happen. But at the same time, regardless of what happens, you hope that cooler heads will prevail. And I, I think 
it is unfortunate that the message that is going out from some people, including in this case, Congresswoman Maxine Waters from California, who has a history of making irresponsible remarks. She helicopters in to Minnesota on Saturday night, uh, attends this rally and says, look, if there's an acquittal, we've got to get more confrontational. We've got to stay on the street. We've got to make sure that they know that we mean business. Well, okay, is that really the message that should be sent at this particular time instead of, look, you know, we we all have to stay calm regardless of what happens here. Jeff, she should stay home in California. This is exactly what is not needed because then when all heck breaks loose and the police and National Guard are called in and then we do this all over again when people, you know, resist arrest, her words are going to incite violence. She needs to lead by example and we should expect more of our politicians. Um, Jeff, I'm glad you're talking about this. Why is a Congress member who is not from Minnesota coming to incite chaos in their states? I, I think it would be shameful. Jeff, she needs to be impeached. Well, I don't know that you impeach congressional people. But again, it's to me, it, it's just the height of, of irresponsibility here. Um, Jeff, uh, you know darn well Trump was calling for an overthrow of a fair election. He inspired the attempted takeover of the Capitol. Um, okay. Well... So so that's the standard. Okay, so we, we think President Trump said irresponsible things. So if we have somebody that goes out and is encouraging, at least directly or indirectly, people to take to the streets, to be confrontational, um, making sure that they know we mean business. So it's okay. Is that really the standard that's out there? 855-616-1620. Uh, confrontational doesn't necessarily mean criminal. Oh, okay, yeah, I understand Maxine Waters is not addressing the crowd and saying we need to burn down a bunch of buildings if there is an acquittal. But that's not we've got to get more confrontational. We've got to stay on the street. We've got to get more active. We've got to make sure that they know we mean business. Well, I think reasonable people could look at that and say that, that she's talking about having to up the ante. And, you know, how much more confrontational could you be in Minneapolis? You know, they, they had riots just like we had riots in Kenosha and things of the like. All right, if you say, well, she didn't actually say we're going to burn down buildings. You're, you're correct. She didn't actually say, let's go burn down buildings and shoot police officers. But by telling an already whipped up crowd, we need to be more confrontational. We need to show that we mean business. What exactly do you think the message is? Chuck on the South Side. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, um, I agree with you totally 100%. I'm not a Trump fan, but what he said was 100% wrong, and what she is doing is the same thing. You can't have a double standard to be doing what she is saying, and if Trump should somehow get in front of a judge for what he said, she should do the same thing. I, I, I don't believe it 100%. She should... Be at fault for her words. Well, I mean, again, it's it, first of all, you know, again, she's a Minnesota. She's not a. She's from California. So, and she has. She's the one. She has a history of saying things that I think were irresponsible. She's the one that you know early on was encouraging people to confront 
Trump cabinet members in, in public. You know, if you if you see these people in, in, in public, you know, get in their face. Tell them that they need to, you know, um, tell them they're not welcome anymore. Let's make sure we show up. This is what she said about Trump cabinet members. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from the cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them. You tell them they're not welcome anymore anywhere. Okay, that, that's that, that's the, the this the modus operandi that's going on here. Let's get in people's faces. Let's try to be confrontational about it. And then it's like, oh well, when when you have people that are attacked or accosted, well, I didn't really say that, and I didn't really mean that. Well, I see, I, I'm I'm with you, and I'm getting some some heat from some people are saying, well, you know, you know, you're you're just you're just too hard on Donald Trump. No, I, I think you you look at the way he conducted himself after the election and a lot of the comments and particularly his comments to the crowd at the time. Now, you can say he didn't intend that, just like there's some people who are going to say, well, well, Maxine Waters didn't really intend to tell people to burn down buildings. But words do matter. And just like I think it is fair to criticize President Trump for a number of things he said, I think I think it is fair to criticize, you know, that. So, Jeff, what are people supposed to do if they march, if if they riot, if they burn stuff down, if they get killed by cops? What is the answer? Well, OK, the, the answer is not to the answer is not to get, take to the streets and engage in looting or arson. I mean, look at what happened again in Brooklyn Center, where this was, you know, after you had the the tragic accidental shooting of the 20-year-old man, Dontre Wright. I mean, what what happens? You have what starts out as a normal protest. Okay, that that's fine. And then it click, quickly escalates into let's loot the Walmart and see how many giant screen TVs we can take. Stuff that has nothing to do with the legitimate social issues that might be out there. If you want to complain about you know police misconduct and you want to make an argument that it's an unfair society and things like that, well, there's ways you bring about change. But burning down buildings and looting stores and seeing, hey, let's bust into the wing shop and see how much money we can steal out of the cash register. I, I'm sorry, if that's what confrontational means, that is not the way that you affect change. And politicians, I think, should be discouraging people from doing that. And if their remarks are direct or indirect, they need to dial it down. Now, to me, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, because like I say, my prediction is that there's going to be a conviction of second-degree murder. Will that satisfy the mob if he's found guilty of the most significant offense? Don't know. But being confrontational, pushing back, that's not going to get anybody anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, everyone 16 and older is now eligible for a COVID-19 vaccine. Do you have any questions about the vaccine, getting back to work, or opening schools? Well, if so, please join John McCure on Tuesday, April 27th for a special WTMJ roundtable. That's VaxFax 2.0. If you've got a question, give us a call, 414-203-8105. That's 414-203-8105. And don't forget to join us at 4 o'clock Tuesday, April 27th for a special WTMJ roundtable, VaxFax 2.0 on News Radio's WTMJ, sponsored by Dave Drake Camp Heating. All right. This is one of these that I understand might be tricky, and some of you may disagree with me on this. The law in Wisconsin and in many states is that you are not entitled, you're not allowed legally to have things hanging from your rearview mirror because it might obstruct your view. 
Right? That, that's what the law says. It's in that way in Wisconsin, and it's in probably a majority of states. So how often do you go and you see somebody is driving with something hanging from the rearview mirror? It might be one of those air fresheners that you buy through the, at the, you know, at during the car wash, and they've got those things that are hanging there. So you've got the air fresheners. I don't know. Maybe it's your ID card from work that you put there. I don't know. But, but it is not uncommon. My, matter of fact, my guess is if you were to pull into a shopping center parking lot right now and just kind of go up and down the aisles, you would see, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the cars have stuff from their rearview mirror. I have a confession to make. I, I don't do this anymore. But my, my vehicle, my, my primary vehicle... Um, up until I, I bought the new vehicle whose battery died on me this morning. That's another story. But it was a, a kind of ubiquitous SUV. It was gray SUV. You, you go into a parking lot, and there's a million of them like that. And one of the things that I did to help me find the find my car in a parking lot, really, is I had a couple um, sets of Mardi Gras beads that were, were hanging from the rearview mirror. Technically, that is a violation of the law. Technically, is I was never stopped for driving around with the Mardi Gras beads around the rearview mirror. Don't do it anymore. But I, but I confess, I I did. Matter of fact, there was one time I got stopped, got a warning for speeding, and the police officer never even mentioned that the beads that were hanging from the rearview mirror of of the car because it's something that's ubiquitous. And again, I'm not talking about stuff that's going to clearly block your vision. You know, the things that are just around around the rearview mirror. Well, this is coming back into the discussion because there's a number of people out there who have problems with what they say are pretextual stops. And that is where police officers are looking for reasons to pull people over. And so what they will do is find minor potential minor violations of of the law, like you're not wearing your seatbelt. Um, or you you don't have uh, again you, you've got something suspended from the rearview mirror, and use that as an excuse to pull over the car. And then once the car is pulled over, you then the officer then then escalates. You go up, and then the, the police officer once they have a basis to pull over the car. Excuse me, sir, would you roll down the window? And then you can ask questions. Have you been drinking? You know, gee, is that marijuana? I smell what whatever. And it tends to escalate the confrontation. Now, in the Dante Wright killing last weekend before last, it, it's kind of unclear still now why it was that the police officers stopped the car in the first place. Uh, th- there were expired tags, and the guy had an air freshener or, around his mirror. Um, he tells his mother he's being stopped because he's got the air freshener on, around his mirror, I don't know whether they saw the expired tags and then saw the air freshener or saw the air freshener and then saw the expired tags. But but regardless, you've got what I think most of us would agree are minor, minor infractions. It stopped. Then, you know, then everything escalates. Then the police start to run the information and it turns out the guy's got a warrant and then we're all off to the races. But the basic argument is that this was a, a pretextual stop. In other words, they, they really didn't care about the expired license plates, and they certainly didn't care about the air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror. They were stopping the car, the police, in order to, 
I don't know, see what's going on and see if there were more severe offenses that were committed. Now, in this particular case, it, it was. Turns out that the driver had, you know, an outstanding warrant for his arrest, and we all know how this escalated. But the argument that's being made is, you know, if it wasn't a 20-year-old black kid, if it was a 55-year-old white guy that, that had that air freshener hanging from his rearview mirror, there's no way in the world, no way in the world that the police would have bothered pulling that person over. So the, the idea that you have these small, what I'm calling, quote-unquote, small-time sort of situations, it, it escalates stuff. And one of the big arguments that's out there is, all right, should some of these minor traffic offenses, should they be a basis for what we would call primary enforcement? In other words, if, if you got something hanging from your rear, if, if you make an illegal left turn or you're speeding or whatever, and you get pulled over for a more serious traffic offense and they notice that you've got the air freshener on, okay, you get a citation, you get a ticket for that. But should these minor traffic offenses be a basis for police having the authority to pull cars over in the first place. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and is this, to the extent that we think that there's two forms of policing that are out there, is this these the sort of pretextual stops? You know, yeah, yes, you're, you're not allowed to have the air freshener hanging from your rearview mirror. All right, you're, you're not allowed to do that. But if this is the thing that is overlooked 90% of the time, the one in 10 times that people are stopped, is it the middle-aged white guy? Is it the middle-aged, you know, white woman? Or is it the 20-year-old black kid, you know, driving in the area? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm a law and order guy, and I understand, you know, I understand the, the, the way this kind of stuff escalates. But I think one of the things that undermines law enforcement and it's something I think we all need to consider is the fact that there is a perception and maybe it's a reality that there are there, there's two forms of policing. There's the one that goes for the one that's applied to, I think, a large part of society. And no, OK, the you know, the, the you know, the 50 year old guy driving the Cadillac, he, he's he's got the, the pine saw air con, air freshener hanging from his rearview mirror. We're not going to stop him for that. We're, we're just not. We're going to let it go versus here's the the young African-American kid who's driving and he's got the thing and and you know, we don't really care that he's got the air con- air freshener there but we're wondering does he have guns does he have dope etc let's use it as a basis to try to find out by making the stop 855-616-1620 I think this is where law enforcement gets into trouble and I think when we do talk about police reform one of the places to start is with, with these traffic stops and why is it that cars are being pulled over and do you need to allow people to pull over cars because there's something hanging from the rearview mirror, for example? My answer would be no. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I, I'm talking about the broader principle. Some people are saying, well, it wasn't just the air freshener. Um, then they found that there was expired tags. And, and uh, then, then of course, he had the warrant. Look, I, I understand in the Dante Wright case, Dante Wright case, he, he, he had the warrant. I understand 
that if he had not resisted arrest, the female police officer wouldn't have needed to pull out her taser. And then, of course, she had her gun. We all know what happened. But but there's no question that there's a lot of discretion that we give to law enforcement when it comes to stopping things for what would be small time stuff. A uh, number of people are texting and they're making the point that, hey, um, you know, nowadays in this COVID era, you drive around, you see people with their masks hanging from the rearview mirror on a regular sort of basis. Now, technically, that that is a violation of Wisconsin law. You know, you're not allowed to have stuff there. So are, are police pulling over everybody that has a mask uh, hanging from the rearview mirror? And the answer is, of course not. I, I mean, of course, they're not doing that. And, and here's the thing. I, I understand this whole argument. It's the whole broken windows theory of policing small stuff matters okay that's fine but the question becomes all right are are you doing this uniformly are you doing it across the board if we're stopping people how many times do you see people with those air fresheners from the um from again from the the car wash and how many times are people legitimately getting pulled over for that i understand in the the right case he also had expired tags i I don't know that they saw that though until they stopped him for the air freshener thing and then they say you've also got expired tags but a lot of people might even argue that expired tags isn't a basis to pull people over the police pull people over in these cases not so much because they want to they care about enforcing the the air freshener over the mirror. They they want to see if there's other stuff that's going on. They want to use this as an opportunity to you know question the people that are driving. Are you drunk? Are you high? Is there marijuana? Are there guns in the car? They're looking for other crimes, and that's all well and good. But if if it's being applied disproportionately, if they're not doing it to the sixty year old white guy and they're doing it to the twenty year old black guy, is that is that one of the reasons why we have people that? I don't perhaps lack confidence in the police. Okay, let's start with Jim in Waukesha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hey, what you just were talking about with are they stopping the 60-year-old white guy? I This was probably about five years ago, and I was definitely over 55, and I'm white, and I got stopped in Germantown for expired plates. It was on a company car. I think somebody forgot to renew the registration, so... I mean, I wasn't driving erratically, and I got stopped. So in that case, anyway, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't because I was a 20-year-old black. Mm-hmm. Do you do, do you think it was a legitimate – when I say legitimate, I mean, I, I, I understand that if, if you had expired plates, there was a basis to pull you over. Do you think it was necessary to pull you over, or could could they have just been sent to citation? Uh I, you know, I no, I mean it wasn't necessary. Uh, I understand though that uh, it's against the law. I'm supposed to, yeah, the, that yeah. license plate is, is supposed to be renewed. I mean, I had no real argument. Uh, right. You know, I got pulled over for that, and that was it. And and then I had to uh, uh, get get the registration renewed, and then uh, I think I had to go down to the courthouse or police station showing that it was renewed and and then the citation right. or whatever it was was gone so right. um you know i mean <clears throat> necessary well probably i mean in what way uh well, i mean i did break the law right I, I mean i was breaking the law by driving the driving the car with uh expired place right uh i mean i guess i wouldn't call it necessary but if the law is there 
I mean, what what good is the law if you're not going to enforce it, right? Well, I mean, thanks for calling. Well, see, but then that raises the question of you say, okay, well, are, are we pulling people over for going 30 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone, or are we going to wait till people are driving 40 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone and, and, and pull them over? I guess, see, this this is the issue, and I think we have to confront this moving forward, that the whole notion of pre- what they call pretextual stops. Why is it... Why is it that you're really being stopped? Is it because in the community you're talking about, is it because in Germantown they tell the police, okay, look, if you see somebody driving with an expired expired tag, you, you pull them over? If, if that is, in fact, the policy, that every time you see somebody with an expired tag, you pull them over, or every time you see somebody with the air freshener dangling from the rearview mirror, you pull them over, if that is, in fact, the policy... Okay, that's the policy. The problem is it's it's not a policy in many, many jurisdictions across the country. It's a discretionary option. And what they're finding in studies is the way that discretion is used varies from from community to community. And, and yes, there, there may be some communities that say, okay, we're, we're going to be aggressive about this. And when we see... When we see that that air freshener hanging from the the mirror, we're going to pull everybody over. But the problem comes in when you don't pull everybody over, when you selectively decide who it is that you're going to pull over. And in selectively doing that, you say, okay, well, I, 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 it's the 20-year-old kid that I'm going to end up pulling over. And then, of course, stuff escalates. Now, I, I think it was a legitimate stop. Don't get me wrong in, in the right case. But, but the problem becomes you have a lot of people out there that recognize that these traffic stops quickly escalate. And, of course, I'm the guy that says anytime you get stopped, what you do is you comply. And you you just if because what happens is if you resist, if you argue, you're, you're going to make the situation worse if you escalate those things. Now, in this particular case, yes, the, the guy was resisting doesn't justify, you know, being shot. We don't have the death penalty for resisting arrest. And I think everybody agrees that what the police officer did was was wrong. She she made a mistake. She thought she had the taser in her hand. But we've created all this. And now people are going to be going back and looking at the records and saying, OK, how many other people similarly situated are stopped or do the police just kind of ignore it and, and let it go unless somebody is doing something more significant? Th- these are the things you have to consider. And I, I appreciate the law is the law. But we, we have to, I think, moving forward, I think we have to kind of figure out if we're going to have colorblind policing. We, we have to set certain rules and certain regulations. And if it is true in a particular community that every time you see somebody driving with something hanging from the rearview mirror, you're going to pull them over, fine. But I, I, my doubt, my guess is, in this particular community, that's not what they did. If you say, okay, every time we see somebody driving with expired plates, and again, I'm a little unclear of of what happened first, whether it's they, they saw the the thing hanging from the rearview mirror, then they stop, then they look at the plates, or they run them and they find out that it's an expired license. I, I don't know what was what, but I, I do think... And this is coming from somebody who is a defender of the police, who, who thinks that, you know, it's really easy to second guess decisions that, that police make spontaneously. It is that I think we have to back up and say, well, you know, how are we treating people and are we treating everybody the same? And if the answer is yes, we are treating everybody the same and we're stopping everybody that we see with those expired plates every time we see them. Oh, OK, that that that's fine. 
But if we're picking and choosing, and it turns out that we're disproportionately picking on one group of people as opposed to another group of people, well, then I think law enforcement needs to take a step back and try to figure out, all right, how can we make sure that we are implementing this in an age-neutral, colorblind, neutral, gender-neutral way? All right, back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, let us stir up a hornet's nest. I want to double back on something we discussed uh, during the 12 o'clock hour of the Friday program because there's been more, more developments and there's new numbers. I think it is time to begin ending mask mandates. Now, hear me out. Now, I bring this up because over the weekend, Oregon announced they're going the other way. They, they are they are tightening their mask mandate rules. Um, and they're saying, OK, well, until until this ends, we're we're going to we're going to extend our requirements that people wear mask man wear masks um, down in Racine on Friday night. They, they have updated their mask mandate. And in many respects, they have made it tougher. My point is, it's time to go the other direction. Now, hear me out on, on this. All right, let me start with a, um email I received. Jeff, we were at the Brewers game on Sunday and were chastised by the ushers for not having our masks on while in our seating pod with our family. Fans around us had similar interactions with the ushers. It is incomprehensible to me why masks should be worn while in your seat. As the actual game wore on, it became a game with fans to only put their masks on between innings when the ushers came by. Two sets of fans near us actually stated that they would not be back to a game until the policy was changed, wearing masks while seated. Interestingly, attendance was only 11,000-plus fans yesterday, far from a sellout. Don't get me started on the vendors and stands policy. All right, now, in, I said, in fairness to the Brewers, my understanding is it's it's not so much them. It, it's the city of Milwaukee Health Department that is really on their butt about the mask requirements. And matter of fact, I was I was at the game Friday night, and I was talking to a couple ushers, and they said, look, it's we've got these health inspectors all over who are pressuring us on this. And my question to you is, why do we still have these mask mandates? Now, just like the tailgating rule made no sense, as I've argued before, sitting at Miller Park and next to your family members, spaced out from other people, and having to wear your mask makes absolutely no sense. But I want to raise the larger question. Given where we are now in the vaccine process, does it make any sense at all to continue to have these mask rules? Now, hear me out. I, I have... I have new numbers, and I have checked my math on this. I'm looking at a story. Let's see. All right, this is new story just out from the CDC. Center for Disease Control tells CNBC that 84 million Americans have been vaccinated and have full protection against the virus. 84 million. That's two shots and two weeks. Okay, and there's there's a lot more that are still waiting for their second dose. So now they're doing a study of of these people who have been vaccinated. What is the likelihood of reinfection? Now, follow me on this. U.S. health officials have confirmed fewer than six thousand cases of covid-19 in fully vaccinated Americans. Eighty four million fully vaccinated, six thousand cases that's seven per million. Seven per million. Statistically, it is just 
pretty much kind of like non non existent. Um, in addition, now, um, or was that okay? Now I want to do the math. Maybe it's maybe that's seventy one per million. Maybe if you did that, but it's it is statistically it, it's less. It is almost nothing. Okay, it is almost nothing. On top of that, almost nothing. What you have is they say they, they call them breakthrough cases, six thousand breakthrough cases, and what they say is of the breakthrough cases, seventy percent of those the people had symptoms. So the the idea of this asymptomatic transfer that you might have been fully vaccinated and you might get it that that's like finding the unicorn. Okay, six thousand cases out of eighty some million vaccinations, eighty four million, six thousand. That that's like the unicorn. And then the number of people who might be asymptomatic. In other words, you might have gotten it and not know it. Um, only thirty percent of that six thousand. The, the odds are. It is just not something that happens. So my question is this. Once people have made the decision to get vaccinated, if their chance of getting reinfected is slim to none, at what point in time do we, and we also are at a point now where people have the options of getting vaccinated. Uh, the Milwaukee Health Commissioner, I'm looking at a story over the weekend, she comes out and she says, um, right now, Milwaukee residents who wanted to get vaccinated have had the opportunity. So now the people who haven't gotten vaccinated are the people who are dragging their feet or they're deciding they're not going to get vaccinated. At what point in time do we say, all right, once you've gotten vaccinated, the chances of you getting infected are almost non-existent? almost non-existent, and the chances of you getting infected, not knowing that you're infected, and then subsequently passing it on to somebody else asymptomatically, that's that's really, gee, um, you know, the meteor has fallen out of the sky and has hit somebody. So then if you're left with a situation that the, the people who are likely to get this are the people who've made the decision not to be vaccinated for whatever reason, Right. At what point in time do we say, OK, enough of this? It's time for people to be able to go back and start living their lives. And th- this mask stuff, all it is, is virtue signaling. The, the idea, it's one thing to say you need masks when there wasn't a vaccine. But now that there is a vaccine, now that you have 80 plus million people who are vaccinated and now that the vaccine works, we, we know it works. How much longer do you go on telling people to wear masks so that they can theoretically, and it's only in theory, protect other people who have made the decision not to get the vaccine from this? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, people wear masks after being vaccinated because they don't want to get it and give it to their kids or their grandkids. Okay, well, well, that's fine. If you want to keep wearing a mask because you are afraid that that meteor is going to come out of Earth's, uh, come out of outer space, go through Earth's atmosphere and hit you, I, I respect that. Then you can still wear the mask. But does the government need to continue to maintain these mask mandates on other people, given that the science, the science that we're supposed to be following, says? that you've got almost no chance of being reinfected once you've been fully vaccinated. 855-616-1620. And how long is this going to be? 
I mean, how, I, how long is this going to be that you're going to have, for example, these mask mandates that are out there? Is it going to be 80%, 90% of the population? And if that's the case, it means that we're going to have the government telling us we've got to wear masks forever. I understood the mask mandate. I get it when we were going through COVID. But now that we have these vaccines and they are readily available, how much longer do you continue this? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's two texts. Jeff, if it's, Jeff, I will wear a mask until Dr. Fauci says it's safe not to. Right? Another text. Within two minutes of that, if it's up to Fauci, we'll be wearing masks forever. Um, yes, Jeff went to Walmart today. People are sick of it. I've had COVID and have had both shots. You couldn't get COVID from me if you drank my blood. I'm done with the masks. Um, well, I think that's kind of an element. Jeff, you're missing the point in public. There's no way to know who's been vaccinated and who's not. So until we truly reach herd immunity, we need to enforce continue mask use because everyone who transmits the virus to another results in another opportunity for the virus to mutate. No, no, no. You missed the whole point. Given the numbers, and it's the CDC numbers, and I guess you feel free to correct me, but they're saying 84 million people fully vaccinated, 6,000 cases. I think that's seven per million. And and let's assume it's a little bit low. Let's assume they're not catching everything. It's still lightning in a bottle. And if you've been fully vaccinated and you, for all intents and purposes, can't get it and can't give it to someone Okay, and that other person has then made the decision that they're they're not going to get the vaccine for whatever reason. All right, at, at some point in time, don't we just have to say, hey, we were all about flattening the curve, and if people don't want to get vaccinated and they're willing to take the risk, then they've got to live with that. But how much longer do people who really, realistically, have no chance of getting or giving the, vac- the, the disease, how much longer do they have to wear masks to protect people well, it doesn't do anything. It's it's nothing but virtue signaling because there's no realistic chance that you're going to get sick or that you're going to pass it on. Okay, Mary in Milwaukee. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I agree that people who have been vaccinated probably don't need to wear a mask. However, um, until the government says, you can't you can go without the mask anybody calling into talk radio is not going to change their mind it's more you have to reach out to the government but at the same time then there may be a bit of a trade-off in that if the government says okay if you've been vaccinated you don't need to wear a mask you may have to prove that you've been vaccinated because can you be can you 100 percent assure me that everybody who's out there right now and doesn't want to wear a mask how do i know that they have been vaccinated. Okay, but but the people, but but let let's work with this. the The people who have been vac, would you agree with my premise that if you have been vaccinated, and you and you've had the two weeks, it there's for all practical purposes, you cannot get the disease and you cannot spread the disease. They've had six thousand cases I, out of eighty four million. So I mean, yes, I mean, I guess right. it's, it's theoretically possible, but in all sorts of likelihood, no. So at that point in time, I agree. If you if for for those 80, 86 million, whatever the number was, 84, whatever, those million people, would you agree that there's no purpose to them in wearing the mask? They can't give it to people. They can't get it from people. Agree with me on that? I agree. 
Okay. I'm, and I, I agree, and I'm one of those who has been fully vaccinated, right. but I do not want to be out there. Some I'm still wearing my mask in public sure. because I do not want to be hassled by somebody saying, you got to wear your mask. How come you're not wearing your mask? Well, right. And I guess, somebody getting up in my face. Well, right. And so my that's, que- why I'm saying, that's, that's why I'm saying people, if they're not, if they're, protected don't need to wear the mask then they need to be able to to put up with the idea of having to prove that they've been vaccinated right well thank well well i guess others well i guess i mean thanks for seeing i'm not i'm not sure i mean if if you have been vaccinated and and see right now and i'm just looking at what the milwaukee health commissioner saying that that there's enough vaccines available for everybody who wants one to have gotten one and so now, you know, it's now they're trying to reach it. Not every, you know, now they're trying to reach out and convince more and more people to do it. But if somebody is making the decision that they're not going to get vaccinated for for whatever reason, how long can you expect other people to wear masks in again for this example of virtue signaling? If you if if you've had an opportunity to get vaccinated and you choose not to do it. Okay, you are taking you're you're taking risks. You're taking risks that I guess that you're going to run into somebody else who's decided not to get vaccinated and they're going to give it to you. But making other people wear masks does absolutely nothing to to change that. And at some point in time, don't people have to take responsibility for themselves and say, okay, you know, you've had the opportunity to get vaccinated. You you you've decided not to do it. Fine. You're on your own. You know, that, that, that's it. You are, you are taking that risk. Or alternatively, are we going to say to people, you've got to wear masks for the rest of your life? Because even though there's no statistical chance that you're going to get it or that you're going to give it, because there's other people who've decided to take that risk, well, okay, we're going to put them in masks. I mean, at what point in time do we say enough is enough? And I'll tell you this, if you're waiting for us to get to 80% mask usage, it's not going to happen. Because there's just a, a huge chunk of people, and I think they're wrong. I got vaccinated. I encourage you to get vaccinated. Vaccinations work. That That's the great thing. That's the carrot that we should be hanging out there. If you get vaccinated, you shouldn't have to wear masks anymore because you are protected. But at some point in time, okay, we've got 88, what, what's the number here? 80-some 80, 80 million people who have been vaccinated. They are, for all intents and purposes, they are protected, 84 million. They, they, are, they are protected. So if other people... People are making the decision not to do it. All right. Don't they have to at some point in time assume some degree of of the risk? Making everybody wear masks doesn't accomplish anything. And there's a real interesting story. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal today where now more and more scientists follow the science. They're, they're starting to agree with that. They're look, they're saying, yeah, if you've been vaccinated, there, there's no scientific basis for us telling you that, you know, other than the, this obscure potential chance that again like lightning striking that you might get get sick they're, they're saying well it's it's more just we're, we're trying to show you know support we're, we're trying to uh, again be part of this be part of this whole idea that we're trying to say we're all in it together well all right if we're all in it together then you should get the vaccine and if you're not willing to get the vaccine then you should realize that you're, you're taking certain risks I think they're bad risks and by the way of these 6,000 people who were the what they call them the breakthrough cases I think well I don't want to be politifact on this but I'm not sure that any of those people, have died. Um, I'm not sure that any of them, but if there have been any that died, it's it's almost it's it's an almost negligible number. I mean, because not not everybody dies that gets COVID. You know, most people 
are able to recover it. My only point is this. I think that there's starting to be a backlash, and I think that the vaccine works. People should get vaccinated. But if you start to look at the numbers, once you're vaccinated, the reality is you you are not at risk for all intents and purposes. You are not at risk. And I think we need to start recognizing that as more and more people get vaccinated, it's time to start pulling back on these different rules because that's the reason people have to get vaccinated is so that they are protected and others are protected from them as well. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. There are heroes among us who run towards danger rather than away from us. We call them first responders. WTMJ is partnering with Waterstone Bank, IndyCar Rev Group Grand Prix at Road America, and Heiser Automotive to honor police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families and loved ones. If you know of a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties, go to WTMJ.com and make a submission. It's Waterstone Bank's salute to service only here on WTMJ. Be sure to check that out. All right. Here's the deal. Um, unemployment rate right now in the country is about 6%. That's kind of the mo- those recent numbers, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That means about 9.7 million Americans who say they are actively looking for work. You know, at the same time, if you, and a matter of fact, I'm looking at the story at the New York Times that makes this point. If you just do a search, asking, mentioning labor shortage, what you're going to find, you're going to find dozens of businesses, many of whom are in, in the service industry, restaurant business, etc., who say they are facing a potentially catastrophic inability to hire people. And you're hearing this from small towns, and you're hearing it from major metropolitan areas. Now, admittedly, you've had all these businesses that have been closed, but businesses that are now trying to reopen or that are now trying to increase the number of people they have, they can't find people. And that includes, we're not talking about necessarily skilled workers. We're talking about people who could, you know, come in tomorrow and start working, you know, as a server in a restaurant, for example. I mean, there are jobs that are out there and employers can't find people to do the jobs. And that's story after story after story. They're struggling to find workers. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question to you is why? Why why is this going on? Why is it that you have one business after another? And like I say, just you know, drive around. And you're going to see signs up, help wanted. You're going to, you walk, you walk through a lot of different retail stores. You go through a couple shopping malls. You're going to see sign after sign after sign. Now hiring, apply within. You're going to see, I, I can't tell you over the weekend how many different places I went past and I'm seeing the, these signs. We're, we're hiring. We need this. We need that. We've got immediate, uh, jobs that are open. We start with benefit. We, you know, can get benefits from the beginning. There, there's a ton of jobs out there. Employers are begging to fill jobs and you have people who who aren't doing them they're not aggressively trying to fill them our number 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line so so what's going on and my answer and i want to open this up to conversation i think the government is partly responsible for this i think one of the things that you're seeing is that our our continued unemployment payments 
it's it's coming home. The you know the government is making it in many respects too easy for certain people to stay home and get paid. You know you you can't blame them. I mean I I understand if I was if I was in a a job that I didn't particularly like and I could stay at home and collect the unemployment benefit my unemployment benefits and the extra federal benefit and all these things and make almost as much money. I I perfect I understand I'm not going back to work until I can you know, until I absolutely have to, or something that comes along that pays me a lot more than than maybe what I was making before. So you've got that factor that's going on. Then you couple the fact that I think people are still, you know, comfortable staying staying at home, and maybe there's some people who are like uh, still uncomfortable about going back to work and we've made it easy for them to do that but how do we get out of this situation i mean how do we deal with this how do we force people back to work because employers are looking 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line now i understand the flip side is there's some people who've been unemployed and um you know maybe they they had higher paying jobs and stuff like that and they're desperately trying to replace those jobs. I I get it. That's the situation I understand. But for a lot of say the service sector jobs, they're they're there. And there's a lot of people who worked in the services various various service sectors, lost their jobs, and they don't want to go back to work until they absolutely have to. Is have we have we created a monster? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mel and Brown Deer. Mel, you're first. Hey Jeff, Hi. great show. Uh, indulge me. I just retired as an employment coordinator over twenty five years of getting all types of people jobs from ex offenders to welfare uh, uh, mothers. The the answer is pay, and I know you guys don't like to hear that. You're afraid to hear $15 an hour. But these young people would rather sit in their mom's basement and smoke pot rather than go out and get a job that's going to pay them a minimum $7.25 an hour. Where the overall higher need for pay uh, and the response from the lower-end uh, uh, people looking for employment is, I'm not going to get a. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go out and look for employment till they can offer me more money. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, and I'm, if you got to raise the price of burgers or do whatever it is, that's what you're going to have to do. Uh, we had this problem before the pandemic. Was there weren't enough people? We were having a di- enough a uh, problem uh, filling the positions before the pandemic. It's even worse now. You have to increase the pay. I know you guys don't like hearing that. Well, I assume you make the same argument. I assume you'd make the, the same argument. The reason, for example, somebody who lost their job in the pandemic isn't going back to work is if the the benefits they can get come close to whatever the pay is. Let's say they were making twelve bucks an hour, and they're close to that. There, there's no incentive for them to go back because they make as much money not working as they do working. Right? Yeah, but but that's that's a temporary problem they can't get unemployment forever so there are a lot of people who are following that that theory there are a lot of people who aren't they're getting tired they want to get out they 
you know, the pandemic makes them want to get out and do something. And having employment is a productive thing to do. That That's true in, in terms of receiving that unemployment, $600 uh, per week for some people was far more than what they were making. But that won't last forever. I, I think it'll go till September. After then, those people will come. But you want to get them hired now. You want to uh, have an incentive for them now. You need to increase the pay. My question to you, Mel, one other thought. It, okay, you, you say that you got these kids that are in mom's basement, you know, smoking pot and playing video games and stuff who, who won't work for right. 10 bucks an hour. Do you think they're going to work for 15 bucks an hour? Yes. 15 and more. Remember, here we go. You got to pay for your car, your insurance, your lights, your gas, your rent. Rent goes up. But how are they doing it now? But how are they doing it now while they're sitting in mom's basement smoking reefer? They're 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 hustling. You just hustle here yeah. and there. You 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 help somebody move. You do this. There there isn't that draw that desire to no, uh, lift yourself up, you know, and and the draw is higher pay. Got it. Okay. Well, thanks. Well, I mean, I I, I mean, I, I I understand if if the if the argument is okay, you you know who who wants to who wants to work in a fast food restaurant for all of their life. And you know, we and and if the choice is, gee, you can kind of hang out and you can sell dope or you can do whatever, um, or you can hustle or you can steal cars or things like that. And and so because you don't want to work in a fast food restaurant, I, I mean, I, I understand the argument, but if the job, if the job isn't worth fifteen dollars an hour, if the job is worth ten dollars an hour, what? Well, how can we say, okay, we're going to say, Mister Employer? We're, unless everybody's going to work for the government. But we're going to say, Mr. Employer, this job, objectively, real world, it's worth $10 an hour. So we expect you to pay $15 an hour. And we understand that you, you're you going to have to dramatically raise your prices, which means that's going to hurt your business. It might mean that you're going to have to essentially lay off people. So if you've got five people that are working now at 10 bucks an hour, you're going to pay 15 bucks an hour. That means you're going to have three, and then you're going to lay off two. But, I mean, is, is that is that the reason? Is it is it is it pay? And I think, I guess I agree to an extent with Mel that the point is, right now, if we incentivize not working if we make people and put a people in a situation where they can make almost as much not working or in some cases more than they do when they work well yeah no nobody's going to go to work I, well i should say that there are people who like their jobs and are on career tracks and things like that but for these entry-level jobs or jobs that are arguably you know less less desirable I mean, I guess if if the notion is, well, the only way that employers are going to be able to find people is if they have to pay a lot more than the job is worth. Well, I mean, that that's going to tell you something. And I guess then we do have to have this rejiggering of of the way we approach things in, in this country. I think in that case, it's going to lead to a lot fewer jobs being out there and more people on the dole. I think it's going to lead to employers having to invest and explore automation. But I do think it, it raises the, the kind of the larger point that's out there about, you know, what does it say about us if it's true that, gee, and, unless you're giving me $15 an hour, I'm not getting out of mom's basement. Now, in my particular situation, 
I, I can just see imagine going to, to Ann and Jack Wagner and saying, Why aren't you they're saying, Why aren't you looking for a job this summer? Ah, because, you know, I can only find a job paying like nine bucks an hour, so I'd rather sit around and watch TV and smoke dope, mom and dad. Well, I, I know how well that would have gone over because <laughs> I it's just okay, well that's fine. TV's gone out of the basement, go find yourself a, a job. Uh, because that sort of thing would not would not be tolerated. But I guess if the question is employers have to pay more money, well, you know, where where is that going to come from? Jeff, people on unemployment have to do job search or lose their benefits. That's true to an extent, but they've kind of modified the the rules now. Um, Jeff, I call BS on the last caller. Um, There's uh, construction jobs that people want labor for. You know, in some cases, we're talking $20 an hour. People are just too lazy now. They're used to free handouts to actually working for a living. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that is an element that's there as well. I think one of the things that you look at when you're looking at some of these job shortages, it's areas where people it, it's it's hard physical work. And and yeah, and it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to hang drywall. I, I don't I don't wanna, you know, learn how to be a roofer. I, I don't want to, you know, try to see if I'm gonna be a plumber because, you know, I, I don't want to go through that because I don't want to like deal with the stuff that plumbers deal with. It, it's all these different things that are out there. But you know, there there is something going on now. And and I think in this country, what you're starting to see is the trend is, okay, don't worry. If you don't want to go to work, that's fine. We'll we'll take care of you. We'll 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 give you a guaranteed income. We'll give you all these different different things and we'll expect other people to pay for it and you know if you want to sit around and you want to hang out fine we're we're not going to penalize you for that at some point in time though there is you know a, a reckoning of that whole situation um and i think there's a factor with that um can you tell me another time in history in which people said you don't pay me enough to work and they sit at home and then the government picks up the bill how, in fact, did we get there? Well, um, you know, yes. Jeff, I think people need to be paid more in the service industry to risk their health because of, health because of people who won't get vaccinated or wear a mask. Oh, okay, well, you know, I maybe there, maybe there are people, and I've told this story before. I have a friend who owns a series of fast food franchises, and the whole minimum wage discussion, it, it, it doesn't even come into play because – he can't find people to work for minimum wage. I mean, it, you you can't you can't find people that you would want to hire that are going to come back. You know that that second or third day for minimum wage. Minimum wage isn't even a discussion. He now he's not doesn't start people at fifteen bucks an hour, but for a starting unskilled job, ten to twelve bucks an hour. That's what they need to do, and yet they still can't find people as well because in some respects we're making it too easy for people too easy for people not to work. And I understand that doesn't apply to everybody. I understand there's people whose service, their jobs were completely just, they were done away with. The industries that they worked in, those jobs are are gone. And so they're hesitant to say, okay, I was making $60,000 a year. I I don't want to take a job necessarily paying $30,000. I'm going to try to keep finding something. So that's an element as well. But there's a lot of people who just, it doesn't make economic sense for them to go back to work. And we need to change that dynamic. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, 
My general philosophy of life is that you, you shouldn't sweat the small stuff, and at the end of the day, most of it's small stuff. That, that's that's my general, you know, I mean, it's... I like you, that. Well, well, and it's, it's true, you know, you just... You reach a certain point in, in life where it seems like every time you answer the phone, it, it's somebody that you know who's got some nasty illness or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and oh, those yeah. are the big things. And I, I understand. So my, my mantra is don't sweat the small stuff. And at the end of the day, most of it's small stuff. I admit, though, I have trouble like living that that because <laughs> I was going to say, I, 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 I love that saying, but, but, but I, I yeah. struggle. And, mm-hmm. and so like, for example, here, here's how my and we're going to launch and use this as a base for topic. But I want your input. OK, so. I have I have a new car. I bought it a couple months oh, yeah, ago. It's, it's mm-hmm. a new car, right? Mm-hmm. New car, three months old. Now, it was a 2020, not a 2021. So it had been sitting on a lot for about a year. And when I went to test drive it, the battery was like dead. But they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll jump it. And all. Okay, mm-hmm. so no problem. So I buy the 2020. I go out to the car, my garage this morning to start the car. Now, today is one of these days where I've got a lot of... I have a lot of stuff, and my wife has a lot of stuff packed in. We, we, it's one of these days where there's a lot of different balls in the air that we're juggling. So I go out to my car this morning to start it, and the battery is completely dead. It, it's oh. died. I mean, it's it, it's just died. Now, this is a new car. It's three months old. You know, it, it this should not be happening in a new car. So obviously... Hopefully it was just a bad battery, but so I'm I'm dealing with this, and now and I got to come to work and I got to do the radio show. So, and 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 Fran can just see the blood pressure going up. So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I call the place where I bought the car, and they say, well, you have to call Honda Roadside Assistance, okay. and you know they'll they'll come out and they'll they'll probably have to tow it in. And they said, you just want to jump? I said, no, I don't want to jump. There's obviously the battery's only three months old. Yeah. I, I don't I don't want you to just jump it. So. You know, I, so it can die on me in a parking lot. There's obviously, it's something they're like, oh, it's probably just the battery. I probably have a bad battery because mm-hmm. it's sat out there. But no, I, I don't want that. So, okay, well, then they're going to have to to tow it. Okay, fine. So the guy gives me the number for this. And so you're going to need the vehicle identification number. Now, I'm I'm in the car. Fran is now taking me to work. So, okay, so that's fine. And she has to go back and get the vehicle identification number. And I call. And so they they work out some deal with AAA. And so as far as I know, the tow truck driver showed up and picked up the car and it's heading to a Honda dealer's. Then I call the Honda service place and they're like, well, um, you know, may- maybe we'll be able to look at it this afternoon, but we, we don't necessarily know. And so, it, but so it's this, it's, it's small. a hassle. It's, yeah. Right. It is a hassle on so many levels. So my wife had to drop me off this morning and now she's got to come back and, and pick me up and she had stuff going on and I have some place I'm supposed to be at 3.30 and I'm, and it's just, it's not the end of the world. Right. It's, it's small stuff. Mm-hmm. It will get worked out. That's annoying. But it, it is an annoyance. <laughs> yes. And so I was trying to think here about all these different annoyances. Car problems are always an annoyance for people. 100%. Um, plumbing problems, always an yes. annoyance for people. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you <laughs> I, I've told the story. We, we have a New Year's Eve party a year and a half ago, and I go down to the to the basement. Ten, uh, an hour before, we're going to have like 60 people coming, and there's water all over the basement because the hot water heater decided oh. that New Year's Eve at 5 o'clock was right the time then. that it wanted to, to break. Time. So, so that, you've, you've got like the, the plumbing issues that are there. Internet issues, you know, the, the things... A, a while back, one of my internet routers decided to just die on a Friday night. And it was just, I was able to ultimately get it resolved. But I was just, it was, I mean, I'm like, I got the internet. It's just driving me crazy. Electrical problems. Electrical, that was going to be uh, my next one. All, all, all these different things that are, at the end of the day, small stuff that, you know, you, you can find getting fixed. But they're all these little annoyances. So of, of that category or anything else, whether it's the car problem, 
It's the electrical problem. It's the, I guess, you, heating and air conditioning. Mm-hmm. You throw that mm-hmm. in, like the furnace or the air conditioner. Um, electrical plumbing, heating, air conditioning, internet, car. What would you say is the most aggravating? Oh, or does would, it depend? You know, I, I think out of all of those, I'd have to say car because I need that to get right. to work. It's funny you mention this because my engine light came on last week. And someone's like, Did, is your gas cap closed correctly? Right. I went and opened and closed my gas, and it was my gas cap. <laughs> but it was annoying because I, I called, you know, my mechanic. I said, right. I don't know what's going on. I this it's running fine, uh, and they said just check the gas cap. So yeah, it was annoying, um, but it wasn't a big deal. But still, something like you, where it takes right. your car out of commission, you right. have to find another. Well, no, in this case, I mean, we have a second car, so right, my right. wife is home, so it's it's you know it's it's not a problem. You know, I mean. It's a problem. It's an inconvenience. See, and I, admittedly, somebody said, "Oh, these are just first world problems." Well, yeah, I understand they're, they're first world problems, yeah, right? And I understand are. there's people out there that you know are struggling for food or, or whatever or the health things. Mm-hmm. But it is one of these like little annoyances. So you would say car problems? I would say car problems. Yeah, that that would be annoying to me. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Again, I appreciating that it is like first world sort of issues, but it's something that we all deal with from time to time. You know, the, the electricity's out or the air conditioning is out or the furnace isn't working or you've got the plumbing issue, whatever the plumbing issue might be. And there's some plumbing problems that are bigger than others. But uh, of those different things that could go wrong, the internet, car, whatever. All right, what's the most annoying for you? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And I guess in part, partly it's like whichever thing goes wrong at the time. But of the different annoyances that you deal with in everyday life, all right, what, what's the most annoying thing that goes wrong or can go wrong that bothers you? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line we discuss in just a moment. The category for today is kind of like misery loves company. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's a water heater. It's no such thing as a hot water heater. Yes, I guess that is redundant, but at the same time, you know exactly what I mean when I say that. 855-616-1620. Okay, we're talking about, again, sort of the, the normal annoyances of life. And my overall philosophy is don't sweat the small stuff. And at the end of the day, it's all small stuff. But with, with, is it car problems? Is it a plumbing problem? Is it an electrical problem? Is it an HVAC problem? Is it a computer problem? All of them, it just, it just my, I feel my blood pressure going up. All right, let's start with... Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi. Um, been, been working from home for 10 years, had my own business, and by far and away, the worst at I get it every day is my computer. Okay. My computer My computer is possessed. It's an <laughs> Apple uh, desktop, and it, I've got Apple uh, Mail, and I'll be looking at it, and all of a sudden, the in-mask, it starts to jump around. Mm-hmm. It just starts to jump around like it's literally possessed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and then I, I have to wait for it, and then eventually uh, it'll come back. Right. But I know that I, I keep saying, well, I've got to fix that. I gotta fi- I'm got going to go to Outlook. I'm going to go to Outlook. But <laughs> yeah. I don't because I know it's going to be a couple to do that. Right. So it's, I just live with the jumping uh, yeah. bean of uh, computer every day. Yeah, no, th- no there's cl- definitely computer stuff. And, and part of the thing with me with computers is I, I, I just, I know enough just to be dangerous. And it's one of those deals, right? This was, God, it was a month or two ago. And our, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but our, our internet router just 
it, it just went on the fritz. And it took me a while to diagnose it. And then I kept trying to get it restarted and it wouldn't restart and it wouldn't restart. And finally it did after a couple hours. But it was this, it was this kind of frustrating thing that's out there. And I understand it's the small stuff, but you're going, okay, okay, I mean, a good portion of my life, and I understand this makes me sound like a dinosaur, but a good portion of my life, I, we didn't have these things called the Internet. And then all of a sudden you find that you can't you know, get on the Internet or, you know, I could through my cell phone, but that your computers and stuff don't work. Well, that's that you're, that, that drives you just absolutely bonkers. 855-616-1620. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I used to live in this really cursed apartment in Wauwatosa that had frequent problems, and the worst was probably a broken boiler line yeah. um, that at one point had me cleaning up water off the kitchen floor for a weekend, like every 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that that would get really old really fast. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Movies with haunted houses don't scare me anymore because I lived in this apartment building. <laughs> Thanks for the call. 855-616-1620. James on the south side. Hi, James. Yes, I, I think the car is number one, uh, Jeff, because you can't, with all the technology and everything else on the car these days, I think that drives you nuts. But I think all the rest of the stuff. But the other thing that will drive you nuts, too, is your relatives or friends. All of a sudden you're ready to go on out, and all of a sudden you get that call that uh, they, they, somebody's got to go to, needs a lift, got to go to the hospital or, or, or problems of that nature, and, and, they, and that will drive you nuts, too, because all of a sudden you're dressed up to go something, and, and all of a sudden, they're 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 uh, trying tugging at your heart to try to say, yeah. "Well, can you?" Well, can you come here but, James, but no, but nah, see, I'm not with you on that one. Then then you're just being a good Samaritan. If if somebody else is in trouble and then you're, you're helping them out, that that's okay. I'll readjust that. Uh, it, let's see. Let's. Uh, Jeff, it's the car. Um, last week, I had a flat tire on the interstate. Call AAA, trick, text AAA, visit their website. Another call 30 minutes later. They said it would be a three-hour wait. I find the car problems to be um, most problem. Jeff, for me, it's it's the printer jamming at the worst possible time well that again that i'd lump in that into the internet thing here's one on the heating yeah the heating going out jeff um what if i wanted my already okay they're talking about the hot water heater yes you're you're right it's it's a water heater but okay a lot of us say hot water heater jeff um let's see uh plumbing problems that's got to be the worst especially at bad times i had i had a furnace the first house i owned I swear to God, that for, I, I firmly believe that you shouldn't love things that can't love you back. And similarly, you shouldn't hate things that can't hate you back. It's a waste of spirit. I had a furnace, and the furnace was a piece of crap. And the furnace, I swear, it knew when it was New Year's Day. It knew when it was Christmas Eve, and it chose those times to go out. Jeff, for me, it's electricity with the problems. We're on our own well and septic, septic and when electricity goes out... Everything goes out. Yeah, that's part of the problem with that. Jeff, for me, it's the TV. It always seems to go out or lose its signal at the time the quarterback is heading back to throw. Well, TV problems can be annoying, too, and especially nowadays with all the Internet streaming and things like that. That's you, you got to figure that out as well. Jeff, I just bought a new lawnmower, self-propelled, um, goes by itself, went over some big rocks, couldn't stop it, trash the blades, etc. All those different things that are out there are frustrating. Um, 
No question about it. Jeff, um, most annoying is when the Internet goes out. I pay a lot of money for service, and especially since the majority of people are working from home, when your Internet goes out, you are dead in the water. Um, Jeff, for me, by far, it is the plumbing. Well, plumbing is an issue as well. Um, So you've got that there. Let's see. Um, Flat tires do it for me. No issues with that. Jeff, for me, it's bank issues. The debit card won't work, and you know the money is there. No, I haven't had to deal with that one yet, but yes, that's it. Um, you can yell, you know, use your cell phone as a hotspot for your laptops. It's really easy. Yeah, you, you, you can, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to solve it. So in any event... All right, just a little bit of misery loves company here. Hopefully you'll be able to get through this week without having any HVAC or electrical or plumbing or automobile problems. I hope I got mine out of the way at 930 on a Monday morning. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Hang around. This is Jeff Wagner.